back to the Y Hockey Periodically Going to South Florida podcast, or at least one of us is. Uh, hi, everyone. I will be in South Florida over the weekend at a family event, so you won't see me. I wish I could go to the, uh, one of the games, uh, the Wild game, but uh, unfortunately, that's not in the cards. I haven't been to a game in Sunrise in seven years, but I would like to at some point. Uh, so, yes, one of us is actually going to be in South Florida. It's my first time there in nearly five years. <laughs> yeah, we have to go you know very spare very sparingly very periodically just to you know keep our license our family <laughs> keep, keep the period keep the yeah. periodical in the name yeah it, so, this is not just periodically doing the podcast it's periodically going to hockey games <laughs> it's basically what well, it is. well the florida ones yeah. well the florida ones yes maybe maybe for you it's a little different going to flyers games or the lehigh valley phantoms uh I want to first say uh, congratulations, Greg Wyshynski, by the way, daughter Iris. If you just thought of the Goo Goo Doll song, I apologize. That's not my fault. You thought of it first. Um, wanted to mention that, obviously. Congratulations. Hope you enjoyed the Corey Schneider show last week. Corey is one of the I best, did. obviously. I did. Like I said, I always like having podcasts that feel like they're made for me. Um, <laughs> well, so... that's what we try to do here. We try to, for the shows where Tommy doesn't come on because... You know, if you're interviewing someone and you're talking with somebody, it's difficult if it's not an acquired skill. And so that's why usually I do them. And I try to help with uh, asking questions that he'd want to know the answers to. But I think a lot of people would want to know the answers to. Really interesting talk about the Panthers as well as the Flyers, which we are going to focus a lot of this show on. Uh, I also wanted to say commiserations to our friends who had been working at SDPN doing the uh, uh, Game Over stuff, Andrew Berkshire. I was on one of those shows Real good time. He does a lot of good work. All the people there did good work. Unfortunately, this business is stupid. Yeah. Even for people who are trying to do their best, uh, we need to find ways to ensure that this business can run appropriately without people thinking about how they can maximize money at every given yeah. turn. Even if SDPN, they did their best to try to make something work. Yeah. And I support all independent media because usually those people are not the ones who are looking for maximize profit at every turn and drain business of what it's good at because we need to make 50 more cents on the dollar. Yeah, I'm not sure. It, maybe it's part of, you know, they're trimming the budget to go bigger. and so, You know, like there's probably a reason that makes sense on paper. And, you know, obviously that's not how I feel about this. I treat this like a hobby, obviously. Uh, and... And yeah, so I feel bad for those people. Uh, but I do, I, I don't know if the Dangle Podcast Network or whatever they're called fits into this orbit, but I do have a sympathy for small business owners or people who are going out as independent media and are trying to, it's very cutthroat. And to make it work, you might have to, like if you if you expand too quickly, you do run the risk of also shuttering that very quickly, abruptly, and taking some deserved flack uh, if you get some for it. But you know, if if you kept going, then maybe the whole thing goes under. I don't, you know, like I'm not tough. familiar I'm, with their financials. I'm yeah. not familiar. I'm familiar with media industry financials, but not necessarily theirs. Uh, I just hope that everybody comes out the other side like with everything like with everything and like we're going to talk about there's always two parts to the equation there's always the why and the motivation behind the decision but then it's also how you carry out that decision and stuff that can sink 
you or or kind of sink judgment you know public opinion should, of you. should we get to that because this might be the first time we've really focused a majority of a show on the flyers yeah, before, and before we get to that i just want to point out that every stat i see right now or every kind of fun fact of like most points since this date in this season um or most regulation wins or something like that since thanksgiving or whatever the Flyers and the Panthers are both like always in the top five or ten of that. That and it's just mind-boggling. So how many times have you people, you wonderful devoted listeners, however many of you are, and we love all of you, listen to this show and it's one or both of these teams is in the toilet for some reason or another, and there's infinite yeah. frustration even during the last two years. You know, when the Panthers had expectations, the Flyers were in the toilet. When the Flyers had expectations, you know where Florida was. Now both of these teams are legit. I mean, the Panthers are one of yeah. the best teams in the league, and the Flyers are having the trip. The typical one team in the NHL dramatically outperforms expectations, and absolutely no one sees it coming season. And then yep. they do the trade that absolutely no one sees coming. And I'm going to take you, just imagine in your mind's eye, Tommy and I texting on, it was a Monday night, last week, I think, when this trade went down. And I I think I texted him, oh, God, what did the Flyers do? And you hadn't seen it yet, and then I texted you the trade uh, announcement tweet. And I joked, yeah. and then deleted the tweet because it got no engagement, which is fine enough. That's what I do on all <laughs> social media. Are we going to have to do an emergency podcast? Because it's one of the rare events in hockey that would have maybe required an emergency podcast. And you said, very smartly... We got to wait to see what happens here. There's a lot more to this story that's going to come into the public fold. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. So I want to spend some time talking about it because it's multi-layered. And my opinion yeah. on this has developed over the last 10 days once we've gotten a little bit more. And obviously, you are the prospect guy over here at our little shop. So talking about this from a prospect angle, from a Flyers development angle... Is, and obviously you're more of a Flyers guy than I am, but just the way it happened and what it happened and what people think it might signify, there's so many different angles, and I wanted to do a show on this pretty much. Not that there isn't stuff to talk about elsewhere in the league, but this is what we want to focus on. So now that this trade is week old, and now that the Flyers have played some games with Jamie Drysdale in the lineup, where do you stand on all of this now? After about nine days of digesting what was... I think maybe the most shocking trade, as you said, since Matthew Kachuk to the Panthers. Yeah, I mean, definitely from my perspective. Uh, I mean, like you said, I wanted to wait, not only because there's more coming out. Like, you know, when the first when the trade happened, the thought was, okay, something had to have happened because even the worst of the Flyers, even the worst of the Panthers wouldn't trade Cutter Gauthier at a loss after that World Junior Championship gold medal, and you know he didn't he didn't necessarily light the light the lamp that much, but he had a lot of assists. He showed some other things. He looked pretty good, right? Why the heck would they do that? Now it makes no sense. The re you know like it just made no sense. Something had to come, and of course, my reaction. I'm a very you know, emotional person. Like it's, 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 it's something that I just wanted to go through all of the 
stages with. And I think, you know, you saw all of those stages publicly play out for the Flyers and Comcast Spectacor um, publicly during the intermission and stuff. And then through, you know, media press conferences and, you know, interviews and, you know, the very most recent thing is Scott Hartnell on Spit and Chicklets. Um, you know, Hartnell's obviously not in the know, not associated with the franchise, but he's, you know. Well, he's on their broadcasts for TV, so he gets a yeah. check from the Flyers, but he's not somebody who would be in the loop about what is going on directly. But he's he's like a great person to to take what's on the inside and be a good mouthpiece to the outside. And he knows what he can say and what he can't say, but he can still give you a spicy story because he's Scott Hartnell and everything. He can find a way to, he, he very much is the perfect avatar for that go between, between the fans and the front office. If I was Scott Hartnell, I would be talking to Keith Jones and being like, how do I do what you did? Whether it ends in a job in president, I think, you know, Hartnell is one of those guys like a John Davidson who was such a big culture guy. He's done it. He was a high draft pick. He has some skill, but he was a work ethic. He was a locker room guy. Uh, he's been, you know, he's played a lot of games. He's gone on some runs and stuff. And I think he would be good, you know, kind of in the media uh, whether it's you know on TNT or something like that, I think would be awesome. He eventually. might be soon to get a national job if the yeah. way it's going and with then, the Flyers is an indication. You know, eventually, eventually tra- tra- putting that into something in the hockey world with a team if he wants to, because I think ultimately he's a team guy and he might want some of that back. You know, he's getting it now because, like, I mean, what we know that like the broadcasters are part of the team. A lot of them fly on the planes with the team on a way, you know, Goldie, Jim Jackson, you know, these guys are... I mean, for those of you who don't know how this works, which is fair because most of you might not, like, yes, they are on a network. The Panthers are on Valley Sports. The Flyers are on NBC Sports Philadelphia. But these broadcasters in almost every instance get paid by the team, not by the network that broadcasts the games. In some cases it's a little bit more complicated than that. And the network, you know, has a say in the decision, but more often than not, you are team employees when you are broadcasting for a team. In the flyers case, it's even simpler because the media and is the team owner vertical integration, baby. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's that, it's that Jack Donaghy type. Yes. uh, On this, on this particular move though. And what I first suspected, and I suspected with you, okay, something happened here. This doesn't come, This uh, when a trade like yeah. this happens, there's a reason for it. It's not just, you know, yeah. a hockey trade. You know, the Flyers aren't suddenly accelerating their rebuild because they got good by accident. They're, they don't seem to be a team that would, like, this front office doesn't want to do that, even though the Flyers of old certainly would. That's a good point, because I don't know if they're accelerating their rebuild by accident, but they might be accelerating the rebuild. I think we could take this discussion a little bit later because I want to work on the nuts and bolts of the trade first. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it helps It helps that a lot of people know kind of, like, the big context because we're X amount of days, you know, out. So, you know, we don't have to rehash hash that, I guess. So, I, I think for me, what 
my general conclusion is when it came to this trade and why it happened, and I'm going to, again, this is just me reading the context clues from reporters. I don't have any inside knowledge on this. What it seems to me happened, and this is my guess, is somebody in the Flyers organization talked with Cutter Gauthier after they drafted him in 2022 and indicated to him, or he indicated to them, I'd like to go pro after this season at BC is done. And someone somewhere in the organization, I don't know who, sounded amenable to that. I don't think this was written down. I don't think this was a handshake agreement. Somebody in the organization somewhere said, this sounds good the with impression, me. The impression was given. The, yes, the impression was given. Hey, another 90s song, the impression that I get. We're going to just name all 90s alt-rock songs now. Uh, congratulations. Congratulations to everyone. Sorry about that. So once you then get to Chuck Fletcher is fired and Danny Briere is promoted to GM and Keith Jones is named president of hockey operations, though that happened later. Cutter Gauthier then goes back to the Flyers when the BC season ends. And I think, I don't remember exactly the date Chuck Fletcher got fired and when the BC season ended, but it happened pretty close to one another, right? It wasn't yeah. that far away because BC got eliminated very early last year in, in Hockey East. Cutter Gauthier probably went back to the Flyers and is like, okay, uh, what about... When am I showing up? Yeah, when am I showing up? When am I going to turn pro? And then Danny Briere or somebody in the Flyers front office at that point, which had changed a little bit but not a lot, went to him and said, hey, this is a chaotic mess right now. The season is over. Let's think about whether we want to do this or not. Probably rightly so from their mind, because Danny Breer just took over a couple days ago. The front office is in flux. They're going to hire a, you know, a president of hockey ops. Danny Breer's interim GM. He doesn't know if he's getting the job or not. And then Cutter Gauthier at that point, thinks that a promise has been broken or something that was, you know, solid had been broken. And he got very mad. And his representation got really mad. And then he doesn't report to uh, development camp. They don't talk. The Flyers try to patch up the relationship. And on and on we go. Not, not only they don't talk, but according to Scott Hartnell, it's, don't talk to him, don't come watch him play, don't, you know, like, he does not exist to you, is what the man, like, his representation circle. Now, the can, I, can I ask a question here? The question I have here is, we don't know what kind of arrangement was verbally agreed to or implied between previous Flyers management and Cutter Gauthier's representation. I don't know no, what that is. No, but... But is this... Would this be the response that you would go to if such a nebulous verbal agreement or something to that effect that might not have been an agreement but an implication was broken? Because this is where my disconnect is. The the reaction... No. Like, I... Like, okay. He feels, he feels jaded or jilted or whatever word you want to use... I expect that from teenagers who are at the top of their game. They're competitive. Like he wants to be in the NHL. He wants it. He will not be denied it. That's kind of his mentality. And, you know, he's never really been told no, probably in his life. A lot of these kids haven't because they are the exception to the rule in the athletic world. So being told no in sports or you, 
you know, you might not make the team or something like that is just such an affront or out of this, this, you know, it's, it's, it's just, just not, not something, something that they, they, yeah, they would, they'd be dealing with, you know, like, like a lot of fans, when they heard the news and stuff, your first response is, well, fuck you, you know, like, fuck me, fuck you, you know, like, that's kind of the, the whole mentality of it. The thing is, he didn't take the breather. There was no, like, huddle with representation and his parents, and they're like, okay, you know, what, what's what, can we try to salvage this, or, like, how do we go about this, or whatever. It seems like it was all just an emotional reaction, and the emotional reaction was then the new normal for like almost a year moving forward. And, you know, the thing is, why didn't he want to hear them out? Like, what was he so scared of, of just giving them the time of the day? And if you really wanted them to go away, it seems that was the easiest way to get them to go away was to hear them out, say, thank you, but no, thank you. And then, you know, you, you get to where you are now. Because think about how he was treated when he was just giving them the cold shoulder. Like, it's not like, it's clear, it's very clear that the Flyers were not, like, putting up huge roadblocks to trading him. It was, they just kind of were doing the exit interview that most corporations and teams kind of want to do. Or the final sales pitch, or both, you know? And to not meet with LeClaire and Patrick Sharp when they come out to see you or Breer when they flies across the ocean to see you, or, you know, I'm sure there was many more times besides just those that are getting talked about in the media where there was an overture or there was, you know, an olive branch or, you know, like a message to his agent. That's like, Hey, all we want to do is give him, you know, an elevator pitch, like a five-minute, you know, this is what's different under new management. This is why we believe in you. You know, cool. I mean, that's what we – I just could not believe that from day one. I mean, John LeClaire. Like, personally for me, I I would do – like, I would be thrilled to meet John LeClaire even if I didn't like the organization or felt like the organization he worked for – dicked me over because I know John LeClaire didn't, you know, or like even if he did, it's like, you know, I don't know. And, I don't and get here's it. the other part about it that confuses me. And it gets into the argument that some people are having about, you know, player freedom contractually or otherwise, right? And for me, I think that's another discussion that we need to continue with. He has his right to do what he wants to do. It's his career. And I don't blame him for any of that, right? But in my view, like the behavior doesn't feel proportionate to what actually happened if what actually happened is what we think happened. And the other problem with it that I see is Cutter Gauthier doesn't want to talk about it or his representation isn't even leaking it to friendly reporters. Like, this is our side of the story. The only side of the story we have right now is the Flyers' side. So they are the ones who are dominating the narrative. And I think, as we're also going to talk about, they did a fairly good job dominating the narrative. Like, they got their version of the story out there and did a really good job of that. You know what I mean? But to me, 
the biggest challenge that I have is trying to figure out why and what the difference is between, like, what? how is this situation different to other situations in a similar kind of way? You know what I mean? I think it's the it's a combination of of things, combination of the player, combination of the peop- the adults in the room around him, and the and the situation of the organization they're in, and maybe how much they know other teams want them or would be willing to want them. I mean, I'm not saying anything about interference or collusion or tampering or anything like that but it's funny that after he was traded to anaheim everybody was talking about how much pat verbeek the gm of anaheim really wanted cutter gotier you know like there's just some things that are known right and you know you might hear things and be like oh you know there's there is a spot for me right now um i mean again the the reason probably isn't material because ultimately the the real reason was he wasn't the right fit he wasn't mature enough to be on the team and to handle the kind of conversations they were having with Gautier if they, if he was getting offended and that's kind of what the organization is going to be about if you can't handle the conversation of Danny Breer either saying it's better for your development to go back a year or, um, you know, you, if you, we were willing to sign you, but if you sign, you have to fight for your time or whatever, or if it's the many times where they were just, you know, didn't see eye to eye about his development. If you can't handle that, it's going to be hard for you to be in an NHL system, whether it's Philadelphia, Anaheim or whatever. Like, so it's probably better just to move, get that move done now. Uh, I initially, like my thought was, you know, I, I would push back against the leverage more. Um, I think that's just my personal inclination. Breer and Jones obviously did the right thing. You can tell by the reception they're getting. You can tell by the way other GMs kept things quiet. Um, you know, this was something that by all counts, the industry is more, and you can say it's the power structure and everything, but the industry is more on the flyer side than Gautier's side. And that's probably why I think what they're impressed with personally is that this is, you know, Danny Breer has been the full-time GM of the flyer for a couple of months. You know, he was the interim GM, but now he's the full-time GM. And this is a really difficult thing to just get handed basically as you're starting. Here is your non-Mitchkoff best prospect, and he doesn't want to play for you for something you had no control over, right? And he dealt with it about as well as you could possibly deal with it because how would other GMs have dealt with this? Would there have been leaks? Would there have been blow-ups? Because if this leaked, Cutter Gauthier's value goes way down the minute this is out there it's gone yeah and they kept it it quiet if it leaks what you do is the flyers to say all right we're not trading you go back to college for two years and deal with it like and and, and it would and and, and it it wouldn't matter what you get yeah it wouldn't matter but the situation would have gotten worse and it would have gotten nastier and i don't think anybody wanted it to go there and so danny briere said okay we'll explore trades we're going to keep the options open and then once you got to the World Juniors and everybody's noticing how well he's playing, 
Danny Breer is like, his value is never going to be higher. It's clear he doesn't want to talk to us. We gave him the space to rethink his decision, and it was months, and he's not reconsidering. All right, we're moving. And we'll deal with the public reaction when we consummate the trade. So yeah. I think from the Flyers' perspective, they did about as good as you could have done here. Initially, I was thinking, like, why didn't they wait longer? Because I was like, there's no way this has been going on six to eight months, which, you know, which is when, you know, how much time I was expecting them to put in. But they did, and good for them. But I also think it just goes to show that the Flyers were really kind of in a situation where it was obvious that just kind of being transparent and just like, hey, like this, this is such an odd situation and such a situation that's counter to kind of I mean NHL culture and hockey culture is kind of a pejorative these days but there are some things I like about it and it is the understanding of the draft of like you get picked by a team you know you go in with all intentions there are certain players and stuff in situations where Teams are going to not want to pick people for certain reasons, and pe- and players and prospects are going to tell teams they don't want to get picked for certain reasons. And that stuff kind of works its way out. But to kind of have a little more respect for the process than to just strong arm so, so you know, before doing anything. He's not even playing professional hockey. He's well, still well, here's amateur. my point on that. I don't mind you using your leverage you can do that. You have it. Use it. You, you know, I. You see it in other leagues. Players and teams using their leverage all the time. If teams are allowed to use, We've it, players seen it should in use South it. Florida in a very similar situation. Yes, we have, and that's fine. But here's my, but here's my difference with this situation is I want a reason, you know. And again, does it really matter to someone who is, you know, a journalist covering it in the way that I am or digesting it through social media posts? No, but I think that. If you want people to understand your point of view and understand the dynamics of why you are doing something that just doesn't happen very often in the NHL, you got to have a reason for it. And a lot of people might not agree with the reason, but it's a reason. You know what I mean? But they, they're strategically not putting out a reason because it gives them time for the Flyers. The Flyers can put out their side of the story. They knew the Flyers were going to beat them to the punch on that. So they let the Flyers spin the story, and their story now becomes fact. And then they can come out whenever they want later and refute those facts after having time to build up a story and say, this is what actually happened. You can paint the Flyers to look like a bad guy when the Flyers go out and say, this is the timeline, this is what happened. And then all you know, Gauthier's camp has to do is sit there and pick apart the timeline or say, this or that, or to utilize that timeline to find other reasons and be like, well, actually, it was the dysfunction in the organization or whatever, and you'll never be able to trust them for what they said. The first two times they had a chance to say their reasons, they contradicted themselves. First, it was a personal family reason, a personal family reason. Then it was many little things that the organization did to him or he saw in the organization as like a third-party observer that he didn't feel comfortable with. And he doesn't want to go into that in more detail. So, so, then, so then the second reason already admits that the first reason he gave wasn't truthful 
and now this is the truth. So now he's already doing that dance. So now he's already doing the dance of, oh yeah, I I I wasn't I was lying that time, but I'm not lying this time, which is a hard thing to just believe when you know th- there's no reason. I don't think that his if he had a real reason, his agent wouldn't be out there right now saying it. Like if his reason was like he saw something like there was something corrupt, there was, you know, like there was a contract they ripped up or something or they did something slimy or underhanded that's not the norm in the industry, he would be saying, he would be talking about it. There's a reason they're not they're being so quiet is cuz they don't have a leg to stand on. It's not if they had if they were so pious and so righteous and so better than the flyers in this case they would they would have they wouldn't even be in this because the whole situation is feeling like you've been slighted and giving a cold show you know like it, nothing holds water that really makes them look good and nature abhors a vacuum right yeah and so what we saw in the immediate aftermath of the situation was people coming out with rumors that just don't make sense. Like the stuff about Kevin Hayes was ridiculous. And I don't know where reporters get this stuff. And I'm not, I'm not here to comment on people's reporters who I don't know personally, and I don't know their process, but that just felt weird. The only thing I'll say about that story that I haven't heard of possibility is the sources he has made shit up to. Like, like sometimes sources make stuff up. They're emotional. They want to, you know, they have a theory and they think it's right. So they say it is right. You know, like I, and it, obviously it's up to that person to vet sources, get confirmation and handle things, you know, with big J journalism. Cause it's a big J journalism type of story. Um, and I, and I don't deal with that kind of stuff. I didn't go to journalism school. I don't want to, you know, that's not for me. But even I knew if somebody, if I had sources that were telling me that I wouldn't be 15 minutes later saying that on a live podcast or, you know, whatever the recorded podcast or whatever he did. Like I think that in and of itself is pretty irresponsible. Because if it's in my position and I heard something like that, then what I would say is the next question I'd ask is because if you're working in this business you and you're on a beat like that, you've got multiple people in organizations who talk to you because that's how the relationships are built. And I would go to somebody else and be like, okay, what's up here? And for me, two sources is the bare minimum, like rock solid, yeah, this is happening sources. But in something like that, which would be a really big deal, like if if Kevin Hayes actually was indicating to Cutter Gote, no, you don't want to go there, it's a mess, then I'd want a lot more sourcing on that story. I'd want yeah. three, four s- sources because you're making an, uh, a statement about a player that goes beyond something on the ice. It's off the ice. It, in some way, would impugn someone's character. And in the hockey world, yeah, no, that's not something you do out of the blue. I mean, it would basically... I mean, you're talking about... like. There's just so much that went into it. I mean, BC ties into. I mean, like, it, there's just so much that goes into it. Because if BC's denying the Flyers to talk to him, and they're hooking up with Kevin, you know, like, 
it's just it was too much for me and you know how i feel about some conspiracies and stuff <laughs> yes i uh, do know <laughs> but it was it just wasn't believable it didn't hold weight like it didn't seem like something could happen I it mean, doesn't I, pass I, the smell test yeah, i'm not a big kevin hayes guy but that i don't like it just it just was fishy from the moment people started talking about it. I think it's more likely that other U.S. national development kids who have flexed their muscle in similar ways were telling him to do it. Like that's more plausible to me. Or his rep his representation was telling him, "We've done this before. Trust me. Like the worst that comes out of it is you get a fresh start in a team that you get to pick. the 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 worst case scenario is they agree." And they and they throw money and you burn a year and then you can get out of here even quicker. You know, like that's just kind of or, you know, you just get more money, you know, and you're in the NHL quicker and it doesn't matter. You'll you'll get out of there. Uh, and so, again, there's so many things I want to say about this because and like I'm just so I think a lot of the anger is the Flyers were like everything was going right. And the the number two cornerstone piece of everything going right just up and said, nah, it's not going right. This 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 stinks. I want out of here. And now ev all of this other stuff is now questionable. What you know, there's a lot more reading into what they're doing. Now it's way more important whether they make the playoffs or don't. Or you know how you want to look at certain things, at least in my opinion, because everything's in a more precarious spot. They have to get things right, whether that means taking the next step sooner and not trying to blunt their gro growth and letting them make the playoffs, or hey, you just you just lost out on prospect value. It would be nice to be drafting in the teens in this draft and get and you know get some help versus drafting in the in the twenties. Well, you know, remember, like they do have two first-round picks this year. Yeah. Now, they'll both be in the but 20s two, or 30s. Yes. But. And, and, you know, we've seen where you kind of need to have the impact spots. I mean, they just got J Jimmy Dry Jamie Drysdale, right, mm -hmm. who's sixth overall pick. And because of injuries and some things, you know, they're saying – people are saying he's either like a two, three, or four defenseman in his prime. So like they they still might need a number one defenseman. They still need other defensemen that can play a really dynamic game, even if Drysdale does work out. Um, you know they still need a number one center, and to get these top end guys, like it's much easier to get them higher in the draft. Like give, but that's not that's not a big that's not a big thing. What's your one thing you want to get to? Well, it's on how the Flyers dealt with this situation well, because. I mean, I think I think they dealt with it the best way, but I think, to be honest, like, I'm impressed, but I'm only impressed to, like, this is what I expected out of the Flyers because for most of my life, this is how the Flyers would operate. They'd be able to, if a, if a rookie tried to put leverage under them, they'd be able to figure out to come out the victors in the story. But I think that for a new front office in a, in a very difficult spot, and they're trying to rebrand themselves, because the Flyers' brand reputation over the last decade has been bad. Like, truly bad. Everybody else in Philadelphia has made moves upwards. You know, the Eagles won a Super Bowl. The Sixers, I mean, they, they screw up in the playoffs, but they're better now. How, how, how hard is it 
to really think about, though, when everybody since they were hired have been talking about how much they have respect for Keith Jones, particularly, and even Danny Breer. And like, so it's not so super surprising to me that the team that, you know, um, like Verbeek, you know, Anaheim's a, a pretty traditional, I mean, Bob Murray was there for forever. Um, and I think they do things a certain way. And it was easy for them to keep the cone of silence. And I think a lot of teams that they operated with uh, were, were similar that, you know, in a situation, they would want Jones and Briere to do the same. And knowing that Briere and Jones are so new, by doing this favor for them right now, if they're the one to make this trade and they make a pretty decent trade, that's going to be... Like, GMs always go back to the same GMs over. Speaking of Bob Murray... Dale Talon, right? Dale Talon and Bob Murray pulled off a lot of trades. Oh, and they, some of it Dale and Talon in Vancouver. Like whenever you were up against against it and you needed to dump a roster spot, like clear a roster space for somebody, you know, who would you call up? Dale Talon would call Bob Murray and there goes Colby Robach, you know? Like that That's a name I haven't thought about in a very long time. Wow. H- AHL All-Star, by the way. Really, eh? That's incredible. San Antonio, yeah. Good for Uh, him. The things I can remember when not uh, pot-addled. Can I I make one Um, other point about the Flyers' messaging in this situation, which I think was interesting to me? And it comes back to, again, the new era of Orange, all of this marketing stuff that you believe what you want about it. But... I thought this was the easiest marketing opportunity in the world for this new era of the Flyers. And some organizations miss layups. The Flyers didn't miss the layup, which yeah. was basically, he didn't want to be a Flyer. We want people who want yeah. to be Flyers. And that's and that's such an easy message to sell to a fan base that has started to buy in. But it also harkens back to what those Flyer fans want to remember, right? Because we remember at a point they didn't do the Ed Snyder night and people got mad. This year they did Ed Snyder night and everybody's happy, right? You you put the two logos at center ice. It's a little nostalgia thing. They the, the uniforms that remind you of the old days, right? It's the little stuff that adds up when you add on top of the messaging, we only want people yeah. who want to be flyers. Jamie Drysdale wants to be a flyer. And yeah. that's an easy slam dunk when it comes to selling your message, when it comes to marketing what you want out of this situation, which is difficult because you have to trade away your best non-Mitchkoff prospect. Com- Comcast forgot that Ed Schneider made a profit too. <laughs> you know, like, yes. yes, yes, he did a lot of crazy things. Yes, he was really passionate. Yes, he didn't always treat, you know, the the coffers or the, you know, the financials like he he would other businesses but that's okay because at the end of the day his flyers were really profitable to him and they had strong brand loyalty and that allowed to have good relationships with sponsors and allowed them to do a lot of things you know nationally and globally when they wanted to and i think that's something that comcast is starting to get now and their new leadership is getting that like yeah, we obviously Comcast wants to be consistent profit every year and everything. But the way to it isn't the Chuck Fletcher Minnesota Mile just make the playoffs 
and you know fizzle out kind of stuff it's the flyers have a brand and it's a pretty powerful brand you might as well lean into what you have even if it's going to take some time to update it because you know being there's nothing corporate being corporate doesn't sell merchandise you know the leafs they have to have so much personality and they pay for it on their salary cap with some of these young guys and let them, you know, do what they want and everything to, to bring some life to it. But I mean, God, I I think a lot of these teams, you know, they would love to have the branding that the flyers do and that easy connection to fans that the flyers do. I mean, the Leafs, you know, Toronto and hockey, but it's not really leaf space. They don't win crap. I mean, they're still holding on to, you know, Wendell Clark in 93 or whatever. Where, well, what? I mean, let's look at the All-Star game. coming. One of the All-Star Thursdays events is yeah. literally honoring the 1967 Maple Leafs, which I get the All-Star game is fan service for the local market, but still. Yeah, I mean, when the guy who won the cup for the Leafs disappeared in the next offseason and then they didn't win a cup until they discovered his body... They they should have figured out that like hockey gods hated their team. And <laughs> but on the subject now of like the players on the ice, let's go to on the ice and Jamie Drysdale because you obviously I don't remember what you had in 2019 where you had him ranked oh, in me, your your prospect. I can pull it up. 2020, I believe though. That was 2019. Was uh, it? it was that was the yeah that was the Spencer Knight year, the U.S. NDP. Okay, you know. can I can can I say something? Yes, you can. This is exactly what Florida had to deal with, and Florida gave in. I mean, this is exactly... It's a similar kind of situation, I, I, yes, minus the I don't want to play for This is exactly stuff. what I said Florida had to deal with. We don't know if it's true or not, so don't, be, don't get all up on me, but... Well, it is um, another Boston College player. Yes, but this is, you know, he forced himself to... It's 2020. Oh, Jamie Drysdale, Jamie Drysdale wasn't drafted in 2020. Yeah, with Sanderson. Was he? And I could have sworn it was 2019. Hold on. And Brock Favor and Helga Granz and William Molinder. Yeah, no, it was 2020. God, the pandemic is weird. Okay, 2020. Sorry, well, not 2019. I had, him, I had him fifth overall. Okay. Yeah. So when you look at him like now, he's had a bunch of horrible injuries, has barely played. And that stinks. So you don't know what you're getting out of a player when he's barely been able to play at this young stage of his career because he's been injured all the time. However, you know, the first thing I noticed when they traded him was this is not a a Pat Verbeek guy. This is still a Bob Murray guy. And so that's why the Trevor Zegers links start out because Trevor Zegers was 2019. I got them mixed up. Sorry. Well, and they both, they both didn't start training camp because they were both looking for contracts and our that is a good point like they almost went into the season with this uh but now you're adding a guy that you heard on the Corey schneider show if you listen to it i made specific mention to ask him about jamie drysdale and what he thinks he could be and like the ceiling as he said was a morgan riley type and that's not a bad ceiling to have you don't know what that ceiling is because of injuries and he barely got a chance to start with the ducks but now that he's going on a team that has actually improved defensemen in recent years, like they're, they are a better defensive team, and some of it's getting rid of Provorov and D'Angelo, as he mentioned, but some of it is their internal options have just gotten better. 
you know, we're not talking the highest of high-end guys, but Cam York is better now than he was, right? Now, what do you think about Drysdale in this mix? Because he's already played. They already had him running a little power play. Yeah, like, well, I it's mean... In, it's an interesting dynamic you have, for... You have to take everything you're hearing about Drysdale with a huge grain of salt. The, the hype machine is out in full force for this kid. And the biggest thing that he has going for him is his skating, which means he can handle the pumped-up minutes, and he's going to wheel and deal and look great. Like, like there are going to be times where you're like, wow, like look what the Flyers got. Um, but I think to the best way, especially if you're a Panthers fan, is like he's an Owen Tippett with injuries. He like there's a lot of traits and tool sets of his game that are like wow for the modern game this is this is teams love this every team needs this there's always going to be a spot and it gives his floor such a high floor like Jamie Drysdale is going to be an NHL defenseman for a lot of years and play a lot of minutes Owen Tip is going to be an NHL forward obviously he is and he can play a lot of minutes right now do I think he was he's going to be the type of defenseman that's worth of where he was picked? No. Is he going to be the best defenseman in his draft? No. Is he going to be top five in his draft? Maybe. But he was a good get for what they have, but he's not a blue-chip defenseman. You can still turn in a, a not-blue-chip defenseman into something. See Forsling, see Montour. You know, to me, Montour's a great guy. If he can be Montour, that's a huge win for Philadelphia. They turned somebody that didn't want to be there into a guy who can put up 60 points, run a power play, be all over the ice, be something that another team has to game plan around, and at his best is pumping in like a point per game. That's, that's you know, like, you know. In, in would the you take stretch. that defenseman in the first round? Maybe not where he was drafted, yeah. but would you take that in the first yeah. round? Yes, and of I course think, you would. Yeah, and I but like there's the defenseman, like there's a lot of defensemen Anaheim kept I would take over Drysdale, and there's a reason Anaheim traded Drysdale and kept those guys. And even if they were the same age and even if the other guys had injuries and Drysdale didn't, I probably would pick those cuz they those playing styles more fit my preference. Let's you know, go Pop over the draft. Pop. Let's go over who... Yeah, Minchikoff was good. I liked Lacombe like, when he played against the Panthers. Like, I think that's a guy with like, some potential. Like, would you... Like, it's cool... Like, if if Florida... If, not Florida. If Philadelphia just got David Yurichek instead of Carter Gauthier, they'd be better off. I said at the time, too, because I didn't like Carter Gauthier, and I guess I was vindicated in the end. Um, not the way but, you expected. <laughs> Yeah, I just I just think that like he's good, but he wasn't a fifth overall draft pick good. You know, I think when you're drafting f- fifth overall, when you're where the Flyers were at that point, this is before Mitchkoff too, mind you. Uh, you know, you were hoping for something else, and I think Yurchek is a guy who has more of a first pairing potential. If he's offensive only, he can still reach the first pair. If he turns into defensive only, he could still reach the first pair. Drysdale's, I don't think, is ever going to be a first pair two-way defenseman that like in that way. Maybe he is, maybe he won't. But I think he's going to be more of like a Montour. 
And that's not a shot. Like, you can still win a cup with that. You're just building different pieces. It means you have to go out, get that other piece. And in the draft, I just think it's easier to get some harder, more dynamic, bigger pieces higher in the draft. Can I do a thought experiment with you right now? Because I'm looking at the 2020 draft and the defensemen that were drafted first, you know, in the first round, and we now have enough evidence to suggest a good amount yeah. of them well, where I they mean, are. The funny thing is two of the defensemen I like better than Drysdale are on the Flyers anyway. <laughs> so in Alga Granz and Emil Andre. Which is hilarious. They're not in the NHL yet, but these were your guys in the draft, I remember it. But here are the first here are the first round guys that were drafted and a lot of these guys now have nhl evidence you know to their games so would you take and we're not going to go necessarily through all of them but would you take them over drysdale in a clean slate world uh would you have jake sanderson over drysdale i think the answer to that would be yes i i did okay at the draft yeah would you well and now that we have nhl uh you know games yeah would you I, take, I would yeah would you take caden Gooley? uh he doesn't have the offensive upside, I no, think, but he's been I, pretty good. I, for the Flyers, I would, I think the Flyers can take the more risk in Drysdale because the ceiling's higher. Okay, you have Braden Schneider who has played for the Rangers. Um, I would still take Drysdale. Yes. Mm-hmm. You have uh, the Devils drafted Mukama Doolin, who is now with the Sharks and hasn't played a ton of games. I think the answer is you take Drysdale. The other That's one, probably the closest one so far, though. Yeah, and then Justin Barron, who That's was the Avs and has also played for the for the Habs recently, and has been pretty decent. The, yeah, I would take Drysdale over him. So I, like I said, I had Drysdale fifth overall in defensive rankings. I had basically Granz, Wallinder, and Andre like all tied at the top with Jake Sanderson fourth, and then Drysdale, O'Rourke, Cormier, and you know, a bunch of other people. Um, you know, I, I've gotten better since 2020, but my draft prospects still don't hit that well. But I had, like, you know, Brock Faber later. Would you have Brock Faber over Jamie Drysdale? Yes, right now, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. Brock Faber is playing 30 minutes in the NHL right now. <laughs> I understand that. And looks good on a bad team. If Jamie Drysdale was playing 30 minutes on Anaheim and looking good on that team, I'd probably be saying I'd take Drysdale over Brock Faber. But it's interesting because you don't often see trades like this. Like these are trades that simply when you, don't happen. When you see trades like this, there's a lot of question marks um, in it. I mean, it's Drysdale and the injuries. And then if you go past the Drysdale, it's, you know, he is under six foot, probably still. Um, maybe he's probably six foot flat. Um, but, you know, he's never going to be a guy who probably weighs 200 pounds. Like, he's maybe going to be 185, 190. Uh, you know, he's not going to be a big physical force. He might throw hits and stuff. There's going to be limitations to his game. And if you look around the NHL, and like we already talked about Montour, but the next Montour the Panthers get is not going to be six foot. He's going to be six two. Like that—that's just the way the Panthers are going. And you know, that I, I just think that's the way it's going to be because you can get those guys that skate that well. I mean, look what they're doing with Miko. Nico Mikola. 
Nico Mikola, and he's not like the greatest skater. I mean, he's good for his size and everything, but it's not like he's like you know doing you know tight turns that that are ridiculous and getting back into play and stuff and all this stuff. He's he can keep up with top guys and everything defensively, but I there's going to be Drysdale's that are two to three inches taller, and that's who. I, probably the Flyers are going to try to go after with that second round pick, uh, if not a center. Um, but again, I don't want to, he's a good chip. I mean, like you're trying to think like, what could you have possibly gotten better? I mean, I think there was a rumor that Freed said, like they were talking, I don't know how serious it was. They were talking to the abs about Bowen Byram, but I don't think that went particularly I would rather far. Drysdale than Byram because Byram's had multiple concussions. Yeah, they both have had just horrible injury issues that have been really tough to see. Yeah, and again, like Byram is going to have tr- more trouble living up to his reputation than Drysdale. Byram's coming over winning a cup. You know, he was pretty good in that cup run, but again, he was coming back from concussion. You know, like, I, I just think that... And what is the he, Flyers the fifth the best defenseman deal. on that team or the fourth, depending on your, your yeah. view of certain guys? Yeah. I'm not saying that the... Abs did the right thing by not making the trade, but I, I definitely am happy with uh, happier with the trade that the Flyers got than if they got that so, trade. So I want to then pivot a little bit to what does this say about where the Flyers are in their build? Because where they are right now in the standings, they are second in the Metro, which is incredible to me. Now, they don't have the safety that Florida has because the Metro's teams below them are all pretty close. And if the Flyers have a bad week and say the Devils have a good week, then they could easily flip-flop. But the Flyers are more likely than not to make the playoffs this year, which no one expected. They're getting a lot of good performances out of players you would not have thought. You know, Couturier coming back and looking pretty good is great for the Flyers. Like, I saw the Owen Tippett goal on, on Monday against St. Louis. That was great to see. Like, he's finding a role and fitting that role. You have other players that are young that are getting into the lineup and are doing a good job. Like, they feel much more cohesive. But I saw a tweet where basically someone's like, this is still where I would trade people away because you don't want to get stuck in this area of the playoff standings. You'd want to be higher. And my debate now that I'm having as I think about this is, like, where do you go from here now if you're Danny Breer? You made this trade and you got an NHL player that you weren't expecting to have, but you also know that we're not winning the Stanley Cup this year. We could make the playoffs and go on a run, and that's great. You know, that's much earlier than any of us expected. The one thing I will say is I don't think Danny Briere and Keith Jones and anyone else just from their messaging and their thought process are thinking that they are further along in their build than they actually are. Nothing that they say and nothing that they indicate looks to me as the uh, a team that is selling out its rebuild now because they're good quicker than they thought. Because a bunch of teams do that. They think they're something they're not. And then you now dig yourself a bigger hole. The Canadians made the Stanley Cup final in a fake season and are still really terrible, for instance, right? But that, yeah, I mean, that's Montreal's own doing, but I'm not going to Yes, get but into now that, on but... the Flyers' case, like, this complicates the picture a little bit, as you talked about earlier. I mean, yeah, it was already complicated, but they they got older. I mean, when you take 
when you take a center prospect that hasn't stepped into the NHL yet, hasn't played any pro hockey yet, and you trade them for a defenseman who has played multiple years of pro hockey enough to have injury history at the NHL level and to miss sizable NHL enough games that you're sort of a concern about it, you know, you are getting older. Jamie Drysdale is ready to go now. You've seen it. He's, he's revved up. It's going to be hard to keep him in the saddle. You know, and you're kind of caught in the place where it's like, all right, Couturier's playing good right now. You got Tortorella, who himself has said, I, you know, I believe in shelf life of coaches, blah, blah, blah. He's on year two. You have Konechny, who's going to need a new contract. He's playing out of his mind uh, and is really showing to be an all-star caliber type player, uh, winger. Uh, and then... You know, you got Mitchkov in the wings, and the way that people are talking about him, and the way you saw Connor Bedard just come in at 18, like there is this kind of expect. I don't think the Florida hockey, op, I mean the the Flyers hockey ops have this attitude, but in the fan base, I definitely think there's this attitude that they're good enough. That like with all the youth, like the Tippets and the Cates and the Frosts and, and what they have now, just add Mishkov to that and just keep adding good vets to that. Like, oh, the, well, because they, they found Sean Walker and he's doing well, they can find those guys all the time now. It took me two and a half years of Zito doing it multiple times for me to believe he could do it. And multiple times at each position, defense for goalies for me to be like, all right. We were still arguing about defensemen. If you go back and listen to those shows from a couple years ago, that the Panthers weren't quite good enough on defense, even though they were running up the score on people. They're still not good defensive, good enough defensively. If you're, you know, like that's just kind of the, 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 the way it goes. And I think with, with Philadelphia, like, it's like, what do you, what do you do? Because there's definitely going to be the pressure from the fan base of go for it now. Just be in it. And if you like, look at the blues, look at the Panthers, look at the Kings, look at teams. You might get there. You might, you know, you can't win if you don't try and all of that stuff. And like, that's, I, I don't necessarily disagree with it, but you you have to have a vision and stick to it. And if the flyers start adjusting already, there's outside forces, but you can't bend to every outside force. You traded Gautier and everything, but don't speed it up because you traded Gautier and things are going good now. And all signs point to like, okay, because if you speed it up, then you got to really commit to it. You got to pay Russia to get Michkov out a year early. You got to start doing those things, you know. I mean, you're not trading your picks for a higher draft pick. You're trading your picks to get a player, basically. If you're starting, if you're starting the process of like we're starting to ramp up, you got to be getting Michkov over sooner. Because what's going to happen is you're going to comp- you're going to make the playoffs this year. You're going to keep going forward. You, next year, maybe you make the playoffs. And then the year after that, maybe you fall down. And then you, and then Michkov comes over and you're burnt out because those prospects you should be having and bringing up 
aren't there because you were trading them away or, you know, instead of like right now you have two more seasons without Michkov. You, you could be bad this year. You can be kind of okay next year and start coming back up by the time he gets there. Like the, I don't think they have to rush. If it's me, Travis Konechny is on the trade block. I think he's a great flyer. But if I'm being honest, is Travis Konechny's career meant to be spent hoping that by the time he's 31 or 32, the Flyers are going to be competing? No. You got to move him. And if you move Konechny, you're getting a first, at least a B-plus prospect or maybe, you know, and if you can get a center, that'd be great. If you can get a Jamie Drysdale center and a first round pick for Konechny, you, you got like I mean, what do you? How can you say no to that? Konechny can always come back to you in free agency when you're turning it around. Like let him go chase a cup for a year and a half. Like I, I get it. It's you know it's his, it uproots his life and everything, but there's no way they can let Sean Walker and uh, Sealer Nick Sealer on this team after the deadline. These guys are on expiring contracts. I, be, I believe both of them are. Mm-hmm. And they're playing the best hockey of their career. And the rumor is that both of them could fetch first-round draft picks. Which would be insane to me. Or second-plus. So you're saying you might be able to – you probably won't get a Drysdale level of a prospect, but you might be able to get a notch lower than that and a second-round pick for Nick Sealer. And you're saying no – because you want to keep them for a meaningless playoff run? Now, is it really meaningless? No. There's things, you know, Tippett getting playoff experience and Noah Cates getting playoff experience and Drysdale and all that stuff. Hart. Speaking of Hart, yeah, he'd, he'd be on the trading block too. Um, because what can, like, you can really build up this team. But the problem is, you can only pick and choose so many because if you blow it up, then the Tortorella, like the things he's been saying, the things that the players have been buying into all go out the window. You, It's a very fine line to dance because you can't, you can't punt on this year and be like, I know you guys work super hard. You're in the playoff picture, blah, blah, blah. I think what you have to do is you have to be like, all right, we're going to keep connecting and heart for the playoff run. We're not going to do any big explosive trades, but that does mean you are going to have to trade like the sealers and the walkers and be like, you know, we brought in Drysdale. He's going to take up those minutes. We, you know, Igor Zamula is doing well. Sandheim's playing great. Like we have the bodies, you know, I'd rather give those minutes to the young players who are going to be flyers yeah. when Mitchkoff's here as opposed to guys who I know are not going to be flyers when Mitchkoff's here. If it was me, I would be pulling up hard and because I don't want to make the playoffs. <laughs> I, like, that's the thing. They did, like, I'm, I'm not saying they have to tank. I'm not saying they have to be in the bottom five, but my whole thing was you still you need to be in a good position to draft a good a good def, at least a good defenseman if not best player available 
We're best player available, still a dynamic player, you know. Now, now they could still, if they make the playoffs and lose in the first round to Carolina or somebody, like they could still end up picking 17th, 18th, which wouldn't be terrible. Yeah, maybe. Wouldn't be terrible, and I'm sure fine, but, you know, go go pick a draft here, go, and then just look at who's available at 12 and 13 and who's available at 18, 19, 20, and most of the time you want those guys in the early teens versus the late teens in the early 20s. Like, or you you want the ability to be picking because, like, their guy at six, 14 or 15 was really good, and he wished you picked a little earlier so you could have picked them off. Can I, can I say what I think they – should do or at least in my view like what i think they probably will do like it is very difficult because i agree with you like it would be a lot easier this year if they were just mid and they were going to be the 10th worst team in the league and that makes their job a lot easier i agree with you that you can't really trade connect and heart right now it's probably too difficult those are off-season moves but i get why you'd want to do that i also think as you as you say like i I really do think you have to trade walker and sealer like i don't think keeping them for a run where you probably go out in the first round in six even if you have home ice advantage i just don't know how that benefits you because it adds more to your cupboard now they've got two firsts and two seconds the first if they make the playoffs theirs is going to be like 17th 18th 19th probably and florida's pick is going to be in the 20s because their record's going to be that good and the Panthers could go on another run. You maybe package those picks to move up to get a prospect you like. You have an extra bonus second round pick this year because you drafted someone in the first round that didn't sign with you. So you've got those guys. And I, as you say, I don't think you blow it up. That doesn't really make sense. I, unless you get an offer that absolutely blows you yeah. away for a Konechny or somebody else. But I doubt you're going to get that. You've got... According to Cap Friendly, next year you've got eighteen and a half million in cap space, and that's before you consider buying out Cal Peterson or trading Morgan Frost or buying out Cam Atkinson or something like that. You know, moves that would make sense. So they're going to have plenty of cap space to work with next year, right? You know, there's also the possibility you trade Morgan Frost because every time it seems like somebody has to be in Torts's doghouse, it's him. From everything you see, like, oh, Morgan Frost is scratched tonight. You know what I mean? Yeah, although I I will admit I I don't he wouldn't be on my team either. I'm not not that you know not the so like towards, maybe but. that's a move you make at the trade deadline because perhaps hey we've got other forwards we want to get minutes we want to give Bobby Brink more minutes we want to give you know we want to play Tyson Forster up the line something like that again yeah. I'm speaking in hypotheticals yeah more but, Forster yeah but. you know what I mean like I I'm I'm with you but I'm with you it, it's tough. Like, this is this is the problem with being good when you don't expect to be good and you're supposed to be. We're actually executing the long rebuild. We want to do this the right way. The Flyers have never actually rebuilt. We're doing it. We're using the word rebuild. The fans are buying in. And now we're better than we thought and we have to make a difficult decision. Yeah. It's... It's tough. I mean... You know what is... You know what could easily be happening here for the Flyers? Like, I could easily see them doing nothing. Like, doing what the Panthers did last year for very different reasons, but doing nothing. It basically being like, hey, we we can't reasonably buy. That doesn't make sense because I think they understand the, the word, you know, the whims of the market and where the Flyers are. But we're not going to take away. You earned the ability to be good and go out and, you know, we're going to let nature take its course. We're going to go as far as you take us. 
and we'll go from there. You know, I would still trade Walker and Sealer, and if somebody wants Morgan Frost, I would I would do it. But otherwise, like, they might make the play. Like, as I said before, they could have one bad week, and then the Devils have a good week, and this sorts itself out anyway. But if they keep playing well, and, like, this team went into Winnipeg on the back end of a back-to-back with guys injured and ended their winning streak and got a shutout. So they might not just suddenly get bad. You know, they might not be the best team in the league. Their underlying numbers might not be amazing, but they're not terrible. You know, like, I'd be on the point of, like, let nature take its course while still opening up the idea that we need to trade Walker and Sealer and we should probably trade Morgan Frost if we get the offer we like. You know what I mean? I, I agree with you, but I think their do-nothing is trading one of Walker or Sealer. I, I think that they know they can't do nothing. I think they know that they can't come away with a decent package for one of those two defensemen. I think if they say, like, hey, we, we're, we, we're keeping Sealer, you know, he gives us good minutes, there's good value, like, that's good value, and plus you know, the package for Walker is just so much higher, right? You know, or like, hey, we traded, you know, we moved Sealer to just get something, but we kept Walker because we believe in this group. You know, I think they could win that messaging. Uh, but I I think they hedge their bets and do something. And those are the, one of those two is easier. Obviously, to me, I would kind of be moving Walker and Sealer and being like, hey, we have Mark Stahl. He's our veteran. <laughs> you Jesus. Know? You know, like. Well, you're not getting anything from Mark Stahl. I mean. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, like that's what I'm trying to do. And, I, you know, that works. That plays in NHL locker rooms still. So, you know, uh, but up front, you know, and you, you mentioned they have a lot of picks. They have the pick from, um, uh, What's his name? The New England. Brian. Yeah, that didn't work out. Uh, I saw him play live at Ice Line in Westchester, Pennsylvania. What a, what a world. Um, he, you know, they have that pick. They have some other picks. I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be fine if they moved Walker and Sealer out and then used a pick to bring in a rental. You know, like if they, whether it's a center, whether, you know, whatever they think Torts needs. But they're like, hey, Torts, like, we're willing to spend a second or third rounder, but we, you know, we can get an earlier second and a prospect, or we can get, you know, this prospect or this first rounder that we have to take. You know, I, I think that they they find a way to, to kind of do that, like. So you, you're basically down. saying like they're gonna buy and sell at the same time. I think that's what happens, yes, because they just the way they've been operating, the way they operated through this whole Cutter Gauthier situation, which I just found his real name is William. See, I really wanted someone uh, whose God-given name on legal documents was a Kirby power-up. <laughs> we need somebody named Bomb. The, the the good thing is it wasn't wasted on this one. So... Okay. <laughs> can we get somebody, can we get a hockey player named Crash already? Come on, guys. Let's get to it. All right. Challenge accepted. Oh, somebody um, will be named Crash at some point, and uh, and I will uh, once again say we have to have more hockey players named after Kirby power-ups. I there there has to be such a balance to strike because it, it's going to be hard to walk into to for Briere to sell to Couturier and Tortorella that they're just 
because they're doing so well, they're pulling back, and they can go for the playoffs next year. Because Couturier and Tortorella aren't – they weren't born yesterday. Cam Atkinson and, you know, Travis Konecki, they weren't born yesterday. They know Scott Lawton that, like, you only get so many kicks at the can, and there's only so many times the locker room is vibing this well on the ice and off the ice, and that it's working out, and the puck luck's there. And for whatever reason, their injuries aren't too bad. And they have two goalies going. You know, they're not stupid. You can't just ask them to replicate this next year. So I think that's why they can't do what I would do or anybody playing NHL an NHL game would do where you don't need the players to buy into it because they're a computer and they'll just be their whatever their stats. Yeah, this is this is this is real life. You know, and there are human so like, beings involved. And like you know, you do need Cam Atkinson to buy in because he's got a five point eight million dollar cap hit next year and he has a modified no trade clause. So if you want him to move it in the summer, you better t- give him let him feel like you gave him an honest kick at the can this year and you believed in him. So that he's willing to do a nice thing for you this summer and wave it to go back to Columbus or whatever he wants to do, right? So, or or take the buyout or whatever they, you know, that's going to happen. Like all of those things matter, and I I think it's going to be easier for them moving forward if if they lean into the winning, and that's not just with fans and that's not just with their own players, but I think if they pulled back and agents and other players saw that, that would go to question a lot of the goodwill they, they brought in. Now, you know, I'm, I'm not saying other players would pull Cutter Gote and not want to play for them, but they've been publicly trying to, to, to let agents and players know the door's open, we're back to, you know, if you play for us, you're part of the family, post-career and all this stuff and they're clearly trying to show all this stuff they don't they don't want to start poisoning the well you know it's bad enough Gauthier's out there and there's already one player saying they don't want to play for him you don't want to do something where other players are starting you know in the summer are, are telling the group that they're training with yeah we're doing good and and then you know they decided they wanted some first round picks instead of going for it. And I, you know, we were, we, I thought we could have, you know, won a playoff round or two. You know, other players don't want to be coming to that team. Yeah, it, it is a fascinating dynamic, but it, it's incredible to think that we got through all of this just on one trade. But it's probably, as you said, the craziest trade we've seen yeah, in, and, since Kachuk to Florida. Yeah, and in about when whenever the time's right, Gauthier is going to release his his thing, and it's going to be all brought back up. Or you know, if they ever, you know, are well, both good I mean, at the same here's time, what I can guarantee you: Cutter Gauthier will be playing games with the Anaheim Ducks when his college season's over. I mean, that's a stone cold lead pipe lock at this point. Yeah. Do you do you have anything to say about the comparison to Spencer Knight? I think what it is, is for me, the comparison is these college players using their leverage, which they have because they went to college. Specifically the ones that come out of the national development team. It seems like, I mean, there's a lot of kids that are go to the USHL and then college and don't do this in our first-round draft picks. It seems to all become, and listen, I, I'm being 100% transparent, 
I don't like the National Development Program. You have made that point abundantly clear. Longtime listeners of this podcast will know that when the 2019 draft happened, you weren't the biggest fan of some of those decisions because you didn't like the USNDTP. And and this is one of the reasons why I've said this. I, I don't. I don't think it's the best development path for, for players. I think if you're the guy, it's fine. If you're not the guy, it's, it might, it's going to be a little rockier for you. Uh, and I think if you're a, a, a support type player, it's a real bad place to be because you get buried. Um, so like, I, I, you know, but a lot of these guys, they don't play like, they don't have a crazy heavy schedule. It, you know, they, they play the USHL and all the best American talent is concentrated on the one team. Imagine if team Canada played in the CHL, they would do pretty good. And it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be as tough as being on an, one of the other teams and stuff. And this would be, it's more, the gap is bigger between team USA and not team USA in America than it is in Canada obviously, uh, because, you know, despite Canada losing the Chechia, uh, I think, yeah, both for U18 women's and U20 men's um, in the in the playoffs, um, they're still, like, the best hockey nation and the most deep. Uh, but, like, it's, I think these, and they've just been shot up the draft rankings and these guys are going straight into college or they've already played in college. And the benefit of that should be getting to the AHL sooner. But the benefit to them is more leverage to dictate your bonus money, get to your bonus. I mean, look, Devin Levi kind of used the same thing with the Sabres too. When he played Uh, I mean, this isn't new. This isn't new. It used to just be the guys like Zach Hyman, who were late round draft picks and then turned in and then worked their ass off in college and developed. And then, you know, Zach Hyman, Zach, had Zach the, Hyman who got drafted by the Panthers because his dad or some family member was an investor in the team. Hey, hey he, you, you can't look at Zach Hyman now and say he doesn't belong in the NHL. Oh, no, obviously so, not. You know, there and, was, and Adam Fox some, too. Yeah. Some nepotism is, is a- Adam Fox out, and but, Jimmy VC, you know, you know, yeah. like that players who, you, but like, yeah, it's just a, it's it's different, and when when it's over years, and it's guys that are willing to play all four years and go to UFA. Hyman wasn't forcing it after two years, you know, or whatever. And um, I I think Hyman. Also uh, I don't mind that. players doing that if they think but, they can use their leverage to their advantage. But I would also argue to them, particularly if you're a goalie, because what happened with Spencer Knight and what's happening with Devin Levi makes these suggestions a little clear. Maybe different if you're a skater. But th- like, look at again. This is my opinion. Don't don't get too upset about it because it's just me saying words. And if you don't like them, they don't matter. Uh, no one takes my opinion seriously. Trust me. Um, <laughs> well, I do. Spencer Knight pushing for what, pushing and pushing and pushing and getting yes every sense of the every step of the way, clearly did not help him. Clearly was not best for his development. And I hope that's not the same for Gautier, that he's not unable to matriculate because he didn't take his, because he forced his idea of development on versus the people who are paid to handle NHL prospects' development. 
you know, you might know what's best for you, but there's also other people who know what's best for hockey development in general. And if you're not even a developed hockey player yet, you it's hard to understand that. And if you're an agent, you most likely weren't good enough at hockey to understand it, just like I probably am not good enough at hockey to understand the intricacies of it, like the guys in Anaheim or Philadelphia or whoever. I'm sure there's guys in Anaheim that are like, you know, I'm glad we have this kid now versus last year because last year we probably wouldn't have been rolling out the red carpet and giving them all this stuff either. But they're doing it now because the Flyers would now too because he's older, he's he's more he's got some more weight, he's got uh, he was the best player at the World Juniors on the team but, that won the gold medal. Yeah, but and he'd probably have another and he you know, he had that world championship in his pocket from last year too. But the whole thing is, you know, they wanted him to clear bars. They they wanted him to say to to be like you have to do X Y and Z and then go do it. If you don't like it, it's your right to leave. That's fine. But there's a reason winning organizations have a couple truisms, and one of those things is earning your spot. Um, you know that's going to be the case if he wants to go to a winner. If if Anaheim becomes a winner. He might get lucky that it becomes a winner after he's already an NHL everyday player. But there's going to be other players on that team that are just like Gauthier later in life that are going to get squeezed out of a spot because they're not playing hard. Or, you know, like they didn't have the luck. I mean, Anaheim is not anywhere near further along in its development than the Flyers are. And yes, the Flyers are winning the season by accident, let's be honest. But... The ducks are not. The ducks aren't there yet. But it also, you could also say that it's, it might be, the fact that, if you're not playing well, you don't play. They might, you know, the teams respond well to that. And and let's be honest, if you're sitting guys who aren't playing well, and you're bringing in other players, and they are playing well, in theory, your team will do be doing better because you're removing the players who aren't playing well, and you're putting in guys who. Or at least treading water. I I just really hope that Gautier finds what he's looking for. Um, and in the future, and in the future, if I'm the Flyers, I'm not running away from ev- every NCAA kid. I'm not running away from every U.S. development kid. I'm not running away from every kid who re- kind of reminds me of Cutter Gautier, whether on the ice or off the ice. But I do think they need to look into how the heck did this get past them? How the heck did Fletcher's team? And probably some of the people who are still there, not pick up on this. What the Flyers are definitely perce- perceiving as a character flaw, or at bet, or at best, having bad people around him. How did they not pick this up? And why? Why were they so confident to invest a fifth overall pick? If this was the fifth round and they're picking, and it's like, oh yeah, whatever. He's got, you know, there's some there's some risks there and everything, whatever. Fifth round. But this is fifth overall. You only get these every once in a while. And when you lose them, you then have fans start chewing their fingernails like, can we start losing games because we need some top-end talent? You just spent how many years telling the whole fan base you can only get top-end talent at the top of the draft? Also, can I make one more point on this before we we shuffle on to briefly other topics? Uh, No death threats to people, guys. You're setting death threats on the husk of Twitter.com or Instagram to a 19-year-old who didn't want to play for your hockey team. For whatever reason, 
I can quibble about the reasoning or lack of reasoning, but you don't send death threats to people. Like, that. that, that is don't, the utmost of loser behavior. Don't, don't do that. Don't send death threats. But I will also say that what Cutter Gauthier and his agency and representation doing are definitely playing it up and framing it because it's one of the few things that makes them look good in this situation is that he is getting death threats. But don't send death threats to people. But here's it's the thing. loser here's behavior. How many times on an open mic? Yes, it is loser behavior. But how many times on an open mic in an NHL game have you heard someone basically say, I'm going to fucking kill you, I'm going to murder you, you're dead, all that stuff, which would, if it was a comment on Twitter, would be considered a death threat. So, like, at the, at the same... At, at one point, it's like, yeah, why are you messaging some kid? To, like, on, like, what, what are you accomplishing? What do you get out of that? Like, say, like, like, say it at the computer screen and get that, you know, get that cathartic release by just saying it out loud. Write it in a letter and delete it or burn it. Uh, you know, whatever you want to do, but like, don't send it. You are using also, your real legal name to send death threats. To a teenager over a hockey game. But on the other hand, come on now. But on on the other hand, how serious? Like you can't be taking with, this with the way that the world is going and how many people get death threats over anything because if everybody's a key thinks they're a keyboard warrior, don't do it. I don't care what it is or yes. who you are, don't do it. Yes, but if they were legitimate death threats, he wouldn't be telling us. He'd be telling the police, and that would be. I bet they still. Awesome. I bet he still did. But anyway, I bet he did. But if they were legit, you know, that would be an ongoing. Uh, I, 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 there's enough the in the world with death threats. Yes, is but also at the same time, let's not act like, oh my God, he's receiving death threats. This is crazy. The Philadelphia fans are crazy. No. Everybody in the world says you're dead. You're dead to me. I'm gonna murder you. All this stuff. All the time, let's not get crazy about it. It's immature behavior, but it's not cra- it's not like scum of the earth type stuff. Uh, I I'm slightly different opinion, but anyway, uh, that's about an hour and a half on Cutter Gauthier trade to the to the Ducks yeah. and Jamie Drysdale. But that's what I expected this would be, and I wanted to get this out of there. Yeah, so I mean, and, and I don't want to sound too you know despondent or depressed or anything like i wasn't a huge cutter goatee guy uh at the time of the draft uh i'm not a big jamie drysdale guy i'm not you know like this it just kind of is what it is there's some things that can be better there's things that are going really well but it like so much is undecided that you just have to wait to see how briere and jones handle this because Everything could change at the deadline. If they make a rash of trades, everything we just talked about goes out the window. If they don't make any trades, everything we talked about goes out the window. If they buy, you know, like there's so many realistic options they have. I mean, it's the other ridiculous. point that I made is true. Like they could go on a four-game losing streak, somebody behind them, and there are a bunch of teams behind them that could get hot, and they'd be out of the playoffs anyway. Yeah. So yep. like they, they don't – like they are in a playoff spot, but they are not – they are second in the Metro, but that does not mean that they're in great position because there are other teams that presume, like, if the Devils get healthy other than Dougie Hamilton, they're not going to be this bad. You know, like, the Penguins could get Maybe, on a, yeah. you know, on a, on a nuclear hot streak or something the, like that. Like, the you Islanders know. are the one that really, I, 
I thought they would at least be better regular season. They don't <laughs> defend anymore. Like, they just decided that we do not want to be the island. Like, I know Jack Frazier uh, posted something on Twitter, basically, like, a team's internal model said the Islanders have the worst defense in the league and the best goaltending. And it's just like, wow. Like, that, that, like, the Islanders fans are mad at their team right now, and I understand yeah. that. Um, just briefly... Normally, we don't wait until an hour, 30 minutes into the show to talk about the Panthers, but there really isn't much to talk about at this point with them. There's, uh, there's, there's a little. I, I don't want to focus too much on it because otherwise it's a long show and I want to give people at least a quick out. Um, for me, just don't get into some of these bad habits. Don't make them habits, basically. Once is an accident, twice is a trend, three is a problem. Don't make them problems. Overcome it as you have done before. Uh, I think that, you know... The, the game against the Ducks was a holiday afternoon game they didn't take seriously, and that's not acceptable, but it's one-off. As long as you figure it out and ramp it back up again, people are going to lose your mind. They're, they're, they are a really good team that had a couple off days. I'm not going to lose my mind over I'm, it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't care. Who cares? The, the, they have some issues, and the issues aren't a game-to-game issue. It's not a showing-up issue. I didn't think the issue was showing up versus Anaheim personally. Um, I just thought that that was a game that they, that was a scheduled loss, whatever, you know, like it just think it's a little deflating after the end of a big long win streak, whatever, not, not getting upset, but they're like, we got it. Like they need to figure out scoring still. Yes. There's just like, and now we're in the point where they know they need to figure out scoring and it's basically on Zito to figure out scoring. And if Zito can't do it by the trade deadline, then it's Samuskevich and Sordiff who are going to have to figure it out. <laughs> and Maurice is going to have to get creative with lines and everything and all of that. But until the trade deadline, it's kind of like Zito is out there fishing. What can he get? Because whether they're getting a bottom six guy or they're getting a top six guy and moving somebody down like Rodriguez into the bottom six to increase the scoring that way or 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 what they're, they're going to get a center and move Lundell to the wing, whatever they're going to do, they need to do something because it's kind of baked in at this point that it, they either need puck luck or they need basically their best players to play at a point and a half clip. You know what I saw on, um, on the athletic um, uh, Dom decision was writing about contenders. And the problem for the Panthers was their bottom six had five goals in the month of December. And all of them were a two low Serena. And I like, it didn't like it didn't click in my head. Like they don't have bottom six scoring. And we know that, but it doesn't really click in your brain until you actually see it in print. But here's my uh, point on that I want to make, and it goes back to the Corey Schneider show. And I talked about what I thought the Panthers needed. Did you hear the player that he brought up? Because I, I brought up Frank Petrano. Yeah, and well, after the Anaheim-Florida game, I guess that's not happening. It ended with him flipping off the crowd. So it did do. He did do that. Um, so I guess that's not gonna be a thing. But how about uh, they loved Radko Gudis? Like they gave Radko Gudis the huge. Well, love yeah. End. Well, and Radko Gudis wouldn't flip off the fans. No, and did you yeah. notice also that again? It was the same thing in the first Anaheim game. If it was somebody who wasn't on the Panthers last year, 
he'd go after them pretty hard. But if it wasn't someone, but if it was someone on that team, he'd pull up a little bit. He's like, these are my guys. I can't do anything yeah. to them. I love Radko for that. But the player that Corey mentioned, spoiler, is Vladimir Tarasenko. And no, thank you. I was wondering if you were going to say no to that. And you know what? It also occurred to me that the kind of player the Panthers need right now is Owen Tippett, funny enough. But obviously that's not going to happen. So, like, but it's I mean, that kind no, the, of player. I would rather bring Lawson Krause back or okay. Nick Bugstad. Let's let's bring Nick Bugstad back. He just had a hat trick the other night. Go for it. Um, Tippett. I wouldn't. Would've... I wouldn't hate that. Tippett wouldn't want to come back. Now well, I know that. I'm just saying. The thing with Tippett was the reason he wasn't doing good in Florida was because he couldn't find the intern. Now this is just my observation. No one told me this. This isn't necessarily what he. He probably thinks, but he couldn't find that internal drive, that hunger to be the guy who's flying around, hitting, shooting all over the time, and basically making up for the fact that he he's not really a thinker of the game. He's not really a playmaker. He's not really good defensively. He, he is his speed, his size, and his shot. and he couldn't find a way to do that. Getting traded pissed him off. Getting traded to Philadelphia where it was good to be pissed off and just flying around laying hits gets you applause every night and all like he got minutes, he got power play opportunity, he was just like they're doing with Jamie Drysdale this year. He was the guy that they were folk like we traded Claude Giroux for him. This is this is somebody to get excited about. We're going to give him a bunch of minutes. He never would have got that here. Yes. He, but um, he would be great to have, but I don't think they would – like, that would be fine. He, he's just kind of like a new-age Hoffman. So, you know, so what is the Hoffman. ideal then for you? Because you also mentioned the idea that you trade for a center and you move Lundell to the wing, which is I wonder if they're going to get to that point again. And if you had said this last year, you probably would have committed me. Because you'd be like, this is not Tom. Like, this is not Tommy. This is 100% not Tom. Because we were both, because if you remember our preseason podcast, when they started doing this, we were like, uh, please no, don't do that. But, like, basically, at the, 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 you need to basically say, Paul, we're in the playoffs. How do you, how are you lining up? How do you? What kind of backup options are you planning? If this doesn't work, what are you moving to? Where do you see need? Where do you want to play, guys? Where are your weak spots? Um, and and basically saying, okay, I'm gonna get the best finisher I can for the spots he's talking about. Um, because you don't want to go out there, because you're gonna go out there and you only have so much to spend. If you're going out there, they have bring cap space, in, but they don't they, have assets. Don't, Yes. So if you're going out and spending assets to acquire at the trade deadline, it's got to be somebody that they're playing. It can't be a Ben Sherratt where you pay a first for someone who plays 16 minutes a night in the playoffs on the third pair of defense. Like, you just can't do that. It has to be someone the coaches trust and willing to play. So that's the first thing. And then also it's like you, the lines are what they are now. But whenever there's trouble, the first thing he does is for Hagee goes up and Rodriguez goes on the second or third line. If that's something, does he want somebody to just put on the first line all the time and then just have Rodriguez 
and then Rodriguez can move up? Or is he planning on running Rodriguez on the first line in the playoffs and he thinks it's going to work better because the playoffs is better for that? Because then Rodriguez's defensive acumen comes into play and his lack of IQ off a rush is less of an issue. You know, like, there's so many things to think about Mm. that, like, you know, I, I would want Maurice basically being like, this is where I want you to get me a scorer. Get me a scorer that I can play here, here, and here. Because you can find, I mean, finishing is a talent that isn't just for left wingers or right wingers or, you know, forwards. Or I mean, we're seeing that now, but I, I think they, they 100% need a forward anywhere in the lineup. And, you know, they're one forward short, and they have so much flexibility. We talked about it. Like, one of the reasons they're doing so well and got through injuries and all this stuff is they can move players around. Rodriguez can play on all three lines. Verhage can play on the first two lines and play with Barkov or Kachuk and seems to do well. You know, like, that's a great problem. Luas Drainin can play up and down center wing. You know, they have so much flexibility, but it – means that they have to be more specific of what they bring in because they can't just bring in a flexible guy. They, they need to bring in a shooter with a targeted role and then everybody else flexes around that. Yeah, because like when I was thinking like, oh, just get somebody who can play with Lundell and low strength, well, that's probably not going to work because if you're getting a finisher – you know, what's the skill of that Londellos Duranen line, even though there's not a ton of offense there? They play defense, and they're really good defensively. If you're getting a guy who's a natural finisher, you don't want Lundell and Lostoranen to have to carry them defensively, you know what I mean? Because somebody else is going to go up against them in the playoffs and say, that third line we can target, because we can't go up against the first line, it's not happening, and Ben and Kachuk at some point are just going to dominate possession, you know, we yeah, can get so- at that third line. Yeah, so, like, that's that's why it's, like, you know, that's why you have to get Maurice, like, if we go, like, have the conversation, like, if we go out and, again, this isn't maybe a guy they, that's realistic, but it, you know, kind of is, and you know the type of player when I say the name. If we go out and get a Patrick Line, a, are you comfortable playing Rodriguez on the third line? And then if Rodriguez is playing on the third line, that's probably going to be a very defensive checking line. Is that okay? Maurice is probably going to be like, yeah, I only need two lines to score in the playoffs anyway. You know, because that, that's kind of his MO, and that's kind of what he was saying in the regular season when we were going through this was, I don't care if Kachuk is scoring. He's playing good. He's doing the details right. I don't care if Lundell and the Lost Train are, are scoring. They give me so much defensively every night. You know, I'm not worried about it. I mean, he did mention that he want, they want to help his offense like yeah. they'd like to get yeah, him they somewhere would like, but like that's not what they're worried about no but i bet you paul maurice is worried about goal scoring but he's not necessarily worried worried about it getting more from players who are who he thinks are already playing well yeah this is a really good point and i wish we could like i could clip it it wouldn't go anywhere yeah. but i wish you but i wish that we could do that because this is exactly what i think but let's just keep having the conversation you can... and you can clip it in the two episodes eh, i don't know about that but uh not not two episodes cuz you don't want to get but my point is like i wish that other people would see it the way that we, you just pointed it out cuz i think that is the yeah. number one key to what 
we need to think about over the next six weeks as rumors pick up about the trade deadline. It's Paul Maurice doesn't feel he needs to get more goal scoring out of players. He's already liking the way they're playing. And that means the team concept is there. They're doing the defensive yeah. things they ask for. The offense is going to come at some point, no matter what, because I said it with Matthew Kachuk and the offense showed up. I said it with X, Y, and Z and the offense showed up. I, you're asking for a specific thing as opposed to the nebulous that we as, you know, as you as a fan more and me as a journalist would say, they need this. Paul Maurice would be saying, I need somebody to specifically fit a role because I know I've got really good players already. They're playing at their capabilities. Maybe they're unlucky offensively. The puck will go in at some point and we'll focus on something else from an offensive perspective. I need this particular offensive skill set because I want to play him here, here, and here. And that's exactly what I think they're going to be looking for. Because I know some people have mentioned, you know, that third pair defensively. Like, no. Like, they're fine with Kulikov and Mahara for the time being. And I would, I think if, if I was Zito, my goal is to bring in a forward, a defenseman, and a goalie. Real talk. Now, that might not all happen. And I, there's only one position I feel like I need to bring somebody in. But Kulikov and Stolarz, Mohora, haven't been playing so good that I wouldn't bring somebody else in. The idea of having an injury on the decor, I don't necessarily think it's solved just by our depth alone right now. Can I make one point about injuries? And I cross your fingers, knock on wood, don't jinx it. Like, once Ekblad and Montour have come back, like, they've missed Barkov for a little bit of time here and there, but they've been pretty healthy. Like, they've they've actually gotten quite lucky with injuries this year, other than, as I said, Ekblad and Montour starting the season, and Bennett, you know. Well, I mean, you can say they've gotten lucky with injuries, but you can also say they've gotten unlucky with injuries because Montour stinks. He's not been up to it. Like, it looks like, because there was a while when I thought that Matthew Kachuk was still a little, like, he's playing. I don't want to say scared, because that's definitely not true with Matthew Kachuk, but he wasn't doing the things that he had been doing, because he broke his sternum in the Stanley Cup Final on a thunderous check. Like, you're going to be more reserved. And I think Brandon Montour is still trying to figure out how do I play after what happened last year? Right, which is why he should have had more of a quote-unquote offseason by sitting out more. Right? I, like, I, The way he's been now, playing, I don't disagree with you. The, the only good part is it probably helps with contract negotiations. But, <laughs> I mean, that's like the only, uh, yeah. you know, so. You, but it also I, but helps that you've got, it. no, no, I'm not worried about it either. And it helps that Oliver ekman Larson is chipping like, in I, a bunch of points. But like, you know. You should be trying to improve the team as much as possible. I look at that, and Montour may or may not be that same guy. And if he's not that same guy, then that defense looks like it's lacking a bit more. You know, so like I, and one injury, then it's really lacking. You know, you have guys you can call up and everything, but I think Maurice is going to want a vet. I, and hey, maybe they're the ones that go get Nick Sealer or something like that, or Sean Walker or something like that uh, from from the Flyers. Or the maybe one thing that they have the ability to do that other contenders might not 
is they manage their cap really well this year. They have, uh, if I look at it, because they've actually got one of the higher, like they're not even in LTI. Yeah. They have, according to Cap Friendly, current cap space is 2.67 million. And if I look at deadline cap space, um, I think it's something like that. Current cap space is, yeah, roster sailing at the end of the season. Yeah. If you can win, if you can win the bidding for Chris Tanev, and it's and you're Bill Zito, and you're comfortable with the price. Why wouldn't you do it? You know, like that, and that's what I think. So I think he has to investigate all this stuff and try to put the best team available. But right now, they only have two righties. One of the righties is struggling. They both had injury history and didn't have a off season to build strength and all that. You, you I. I definitely would be interested in that, and I definitely wouldn't be terribly upset if they picked a goalie just in case Stolarz isn't the guy. Because there's no one in the AHL I'm putting in the NHL playoffs right now. Spencer Knight needs to continue to play in the AHL, and Spencer I do want to say needs to play good hockey. Oh, That's what okay. Spencer Knight needs. I do want to say that the outdoor game for the Checkers looked pretty cool. Sam Scavage scored the game-winning goal. That that was yeah. neat. Yeah, he's getting they they. I realized why they didn't play him and they sent him back down. They're trying to get him outdoor experience for when the Panthers host an outdoor game. You know, now he's got a game-winning goal, so when. It's, you know, 1-1 one, one against Tampa or whatever. Samo is going to be looking up and down the bench being like, I'm that guy. I'm going to get this goal here uh, when his name's called. So that that's my thought process. They're playing chess, not checkers. Really good job, Panthers organization. That 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 is uh, impressive. I got to give them credit for that. Anything else you want to get to before we uh, wrap the show up? Um, no, that's about it. Uh, just pretty, pretty excited. Um, we're now kind of getting into the second half of the season where, you know, things start tightening up, teams start tightening up, the, the, the bad teams start really falling, the good teams start really playing good, and all the teams on the bubble start to really show who they are. Um, Did you think the Panthers were going to be second in the uh, Atlantic Division at this time this season? Because I didn't. No, no. Um, the because I expected the the Leafs to have more wins. Um, the 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 they Leafs have as many inability, losses as wins this season. The the Leafs' inability to play good regular season hockey is. I am surprised by that. Yeah, but I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, the they don't have that mental fortitude that other teams do. And uh, I, I do want to say that I am a little disappointed that we couldn't see Paul Maurice coaching an all-star team in Toronto. That would have been kind of amusing. And nobody I, asked him like, Oh, I wanted, I wanted the week of him just making like passive aggressive. Like <laughs> I'd rather be with, the I'd rather be with my family in Florida. I would have, that would have been really funny. Cause you know, he would have done it in a, with a smile on his face in a way that got the media to laugh, but everybody realized, Oh wait, he'd rather be on vacation. Yeah. He, he said it about Sergei Bobrovsky, but he didn't say it about himself. Yeah. Well, yeah, we knew who he was talking about. Um, I, uh, I mean, I, I do have to say like, 
I always enjoy listening to him do uh, the, the press conferences after games. And we've talked about why before. But nobody asked him about him going to the All-Star game. They asked about Sergey going to the All-Star game. But not him. And I know that the Bruins won that night, so it wouldn't have been relevant anyway. But I would have loved to have seen the Toronto media talk to Paul Maurice. Because they talked to him last year. But now this is a more fun, loose setting as opposed to the playoffs. And... I think he would have had fun with it. I would have really enjoyed it because, you know, I think that I think he would have had fun with it. But there's a and also there are people out there mad that Alexander Barkov's not going to the All-Star game. My point about Sasha Barkov going to the All-Star game or Matthew Kachuk or anybody else is exactly the same as it's been for all of these years. Even last year when it was in Florida and they didn't have to drive very far to go to the game. It's better that they get 10 days off. I want them to get 10 days off. Sasha Barkov's picked up a lot of niggling little injuries or what have you. Give him some time off to rest, man. I need You need him firing on every possible cylinder when he comes to playoffs. Also, one stat on Sam Reinhart that's crazy. He almost set the NHL record for consecutive games with a power play goal. He did set the record for consecutive games with a special teams goal with seven because he scored the shorthanded goal, which is ludicrous. And by the way, that guy tweeting about Sam Reinhart's contract that isn't actually done yet, I think... I expect all of you to have better media literacy than that. Anyway, uh, enjoy these upcoming games. We will be speaking to you soon once again. I will be enjoying brief days in South Florida, spending time inside for a family event. But until then, good night and good hockey.